Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Hey everybody, we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Last year was a really rough year for censorship and all other platforms like TikTok and Facebook and Instagram. Uh, But just know that Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women, by hunters and anglers, just like you. It's a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored there, they're also encouraged on Go Wild, and they give you points for things like sharing your trophies, your gear reviews, and inviting friends to their platform. And as you earn those points, you unlock some pretty great rewards. Uh, things like gift cards and free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and a whole bunch more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 right out of the gate just by trying it out. Go ahead and download Go Wild at GoWild.com to go ahead and get started today. This is the OKS Hunter Podcast. Never pass on shooter bucks, because that's just me in the freezer. It's your tag, you hunt how you want. This is OKS Hunter. Hey, what up, everybody? Welcome to the OKS Hunter podcast. We're back from a week break while I was sick and my entire family was sick. It was miserable. We don't want anyone coming into this shit show (laughs) of (laughs) disgusting germs. Greg, I think your beer is empty. I cheered you, and it was pretty uh, hollow. That's all right. You want to crack another one? I'll I'll get another one. All right. You got to keep those pork chaps in the the cans going. Right. Someone's got to feed the big guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be the high life. Oh, boy. Coming at you from the OK Center Podcast Studio here in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Shout out to our premier presenting sponsor. They were just whacking and stacking does and donating to the uh, venison program, Spartan Forge. You can use code OHP for 25% off your annual membership for Spartan Forge. Greg, I think you're going to, oh my God, you freaked me. I thought you were going to fall over. No. That, those wheels might have kicked out on you, man. No, no. We keep the landing gear You've under the airplane. You've done weirder shit on the show, so I was just waiting for that thing to flip backwards. <laughs> it's been a minute since we got yeah, weird, so. Well. I know I sent some really funny gifts earlier of us rubbing faces. That's not going to happen. That was a little strange. <laughs> but it wasn't too on, out of the norm for you, so no, it's all no. good. We always got to keep it weird. Um, yeah, shout out to Latitude Outdoors for supplying us with our saddles this last season. I really enjoyed hunting out of mine. Yeah. Just wrote an article for Go Wild. I think I don't know when it'll get published, but I just wrote an article about saddle hunting. Nice, my take on it, and uh, backwoods grind coffee. Yeah, I got to take a doe out of my my latitude outdoor saddle, so oh, yeah? pretty sweet. How many does did Spartan Forge and those guys get? They were hunting with Chris B and Seek One, and yeah, uh, they had a truck full. Um, it probably looked like six or seven deer. I've seen people stacking ducks and stuff like that, but. I've not seen a photo of does stacked up like that. It's a lot of deer, but they're hunting a, a metropolitan area that's loaded with deer and nobody to control them other than the passerbys in their cars. Yeah, that's well, which is they, no way to go. Well, and they donated too to that 
Mm-hmm. I think it's called the Venison Program, which looks like a fairly new entity. I'm not sure. I forget who's behind it right now. Something similar to Hunters for the Hungry, I'm sure. But that's great that they can get that much meat and then donate it to people that are in need, especially yeah. this time of year when it's freezing cold everywhere. Not everywhere, but you know, the northern hemisphere of the, right. the country. Anywho. Uh, so if you're joining us live, thanks for popping in here. Oak Tree Dreams, our, our buddies over there. Nico, what up? Nicholas, welcome to the show. Appreciate it. It's hanging. It's hanging good. Clay Thurman, hello, buddy. Hopefully your move went well. Lots of folks joining us tonight. Sweet. They must have missed us last week. I guess. Yeah, something like that. Who are we, uh, who are we talking to today? So we do have a guest with us. We're going to bring him in. And uh, uh, I'm going to not <laughs> botch your last name. It's Jordan Syatt, uh with Syatt Fitness. Jordan, you had the unique and distinct pleasure of... Uh, training or like, right? Training. You were the trainer of Gary Vaynerchuk of all people. Yep. So, dude, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this with us. I am really excited to talk with you as someone that had recently just hunted for the first time. So, why don't you just take a second, introduce yourself? I think you have some really great content out there on uh, fitness and, and wellness and well being and helpfulness. So, I'll let you talk. I'll stop talking. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Uh, just a, a short, bald, nerdy guy likes to lift weights and do jujitsu. And uh, I've been strength training for a long, long time. I uh, I got into it from wrestling. I started wrestling when I was eight years old. Um, my mom put my brother and I in wrestling because we're we're very short. We come from a short family, and she wanted us to be able to defend ourselves. So she put us in wrestling. I remember when I was eight. She came in the living room. She was like, I'm going to put you two in wrestling. And she was like, and, and I was like, uh, I didn't know what wrestling was. I just knew about WWE, WWF. And I was like, uh, you want me to hit someone with a chair? She was like, no, you <laughs> idiot. Not hit someone with a chair. It's, uh, While it's you're Olympic in a cage. Which I had no idea what that was, but she put us in it and I fell in love with it. And and then that was basically, basically it from there. I wrestled all the way through high school. I made varsity as a freshman. And uh, from there I got into fitness because – I had to cut a fair amount of weight and I was good from a technical perspective and an endurance perspective, but my strength wasn't where it needed to be. I was a freshman going up against mainly juniors and seniors. So I applied to a gym a couple of towns over from me and I was just like, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floor. Just let me do anything. Come and learn from you. And fortunately they were very science-based and they were very, very, it was a very good gym. And that was it from then on. I just, I was, I knew I wanted to be a strength coach and that's what I've been doing ever since. And you're not just any strength coach, though. Like, it's not anyone that just gets to train Gary Vaynerchuk of all people. And it was pretty transformative for him because he was a chubbier dude back in the day. <laughs> when I discovered him, he was chubby, and he ain't chubby no, any longer. Like, that's Yeah, a- no, he, uh, he's not. He, when I started with him, he was, he was pretty chubby. Um, he had a lot of back pain. He, he had a lot of pain everywhere. He had back pain. He had hip pain. He had knee pain. He had neck pain. Um, so now he's, he's in great shape. He's doing super well. And I coached him. For three years straight, seven days a week, no weekends, no vacations, no breaks, no nothing. It was, and he travels all the time. You know, before COVID, he was traveled. We spent more time traveling than we did actually in New York City. So if he was in Hong Kong, I was in Hong Kong with him. If he was in LA, I was in LA with him. If he was in Amsterdam, I was in Amsterdam with him. We traveled the world together for three years straight. Holy wow. crap, man. Well, it's no wonder your marketing is so on point. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty great. So, you're, and you're in Texas now. Is that where you're from? Is that where you've always been? No, no. I grew up in Boston. So I lived in Boston until I was 18. Then uh, I moved to Israel for a year, lived in Israel. And then I, I went to school, either University of Delaware. Then I moved back to Israel. 
And I was there for a few years until uh, Gary offered me the job. So I moved from Tel Aviv to New York, coached Gary for three years. And then I moved from New York to Dallas just uh, in the last last eight months or so. It's warmer, huh? Less seasonal depression. Much warmer, much nicer weather, much nicer people, much more space, much more, you know, I, I like it a lot. What brought you to Israel? That's a pretty interesting place. Is that where your family is from originally? Um, so I don't have any blood relatives there. I do have a lot of people who I consider family there at this point. Um, I, I am Jewish, so I was brought up like, you know, very much like want to go to Israel, want to go to Israel. Um, and I went there the first time when I was 16 and I fell in love with it. And I realized I, I was terrible in school. I, I did not like school. I was in special education. I, I did not like school at all. And so I knew I didn't want to go to college right away and so, or potentially at all. So I took a year off and I went to Israel and uh, I just volunteered with Holocaust survivors and I lived all over Israel and I just traveled and I was about to join the IDF, but my mom said she would fucking kill me if I joined the IDF. So I, uh, I moved back to the States, went to school because that's what she wanted me to do. And then I started my business while I was in school. And by the time I got out of school, I had my own business. So I was like, I can do it from wherever. So I moved to Israel and I lived in Israel for a while. And then uh, Gary, his team found me through my content, and then they they offered me an interview with Gary, which I thought was a joke. I followed Gary for years. I didn't think it was real, but they reached out. They were like, how would you like to coach Gary? And I was like, really? And so I, I booked a ticket, flew from Tel Aviv to New York, coached Gary, flew back to Tel Aviv all within 36 hours. And wow. my roommate and friend, they had no idea I even left the country. I didn't even want to tell anybody, so I – they thought I was staying at a girl's house that whole time. And, uh, <laughs> That's more believable. <laughs> I, and then like six weeks later, I get a text from an unknown number. I was at my family's house in Haifa and uh, it's in the north of Israel. And, um, and I got a text from an unknown number saying, are you ready? And I didn't know who this was. I had no, it was six weeks after I flew to New York. Like it was sort of out of my mind. I, did, I just didn't think I got the job. I figured they would have told me at that point. And so I replied to the unknown number. I said, who the fuck is this? And then uh, Gary sent me a picture of himself shirtless and flexing. And that's how, I found it. that's how I found out I got the job. And then I moved to New York a week later. That's a pretty cool story. I didn't know any of that, dude. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah let, me, let me turn the light on real quick because I look like I'm just in the dark right now. Yeah, you do. You're literally in the dark. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. That should be better. Yeah, that's good. So, okay, now you're in Texas and uh, you've traveled the world with – one of the greatest marketers of our generation, I believe. And um, you're really, you know, you're, co how many people do you coach? Are you, are you coaching like mass amounts of people? Is it really intimate? Is it more one-to-one? -one? Um, I'm, I'm asking to try to get a sense for like how big your reach is and, and how many people, how many lives you've kind of touched. Yeah, I mean, you've got a huge Instagram following. If you just check out your Instagram, it's, it's pretty substantial. Yeah. So I did one-on-one -on -one coaching for the majority of my career. It was like whether it was one-on-one -on -one in person or one-on-one -on -one online, I did that from 2011 all the way until 2017. And then as I started to gain a bigger audience, I, re I realized, number one, one-on-one -on -one coaching, I could only work with about 70 people at most at one time. And also the price of one-on-one -on -one coaching is not doable for the vast majority of people. So I, I switched to a more of a membership model. It's like 25 bucks a month. And uh, that's the majority of what I do right now. I call it my, my inner circle. And so uh, 
there are a, a pretty substantial number of people in there right now. Um, but in terms of, you know, I got like 800,000 on YouTube, uh, on Instagram, I got about 150,000 on YouTube. We got like, I have, you know, I just hit 5 million downloads on my podcast. So I have a, a fair amount of people listening to me. And uh, I, I, I take more stock in how many people I've helped in general, as opposed to just how many people pay me, because it's, it's much more about how many people I can help in general, as opposed to how many people are, are paying me for my services. Well, I like that. And the reason I'm asking that question, I'm starting to kind of build into how I want to frame this up, which is you know, someone that's as health conscious as you are, as much as you're a thought leader in the space and people look up to you to help them with their health. Um, you know, at some point, you know, we were talking offline about how you came to this conclusion of it sounds as though uncomfortability is a, is a good thing. Like if you're uncomfortable, that's a positive. And I, I kind of mentioned that because, well, one of the things you talked about is I want to be uncomfortable with maybe learning something new, which in our case, the reason you're on a hunting podcast is because you decided you'd like to go hunting, but not just for the sake of, I want to go do that. It sounded as though you wanted to be more, familiar with where your food is coming from as someone that's as healthful as you are. So I guess maybe kind of unpack a little bit of that for us um, and, and share some of that journey. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, I told you guys before, but I grew up in a house that was very anti-gun and very anti-hunting. And um, like I said, you know, oftentimes you just take what your parents tell you at face value, not because they're right, but because you just look up to them and you're a kid and you don't really know better. And so for a long time, I just assumed guns were bad and hunting was bad. That's just what I would thought. That's what I was sort of indoctrinated with, uh, both in my house and also in my school system. That's really what I was taught. And um, the older I got and, and the more I, I started to research on my own, the more none of that really started to make sense, which was very difficult for me. There was a lot of cognitive dissonance, right, in terms of what I was brought up with and then versus like what I'm learning as an adult. Like these – it doesn't make logical sense why these things are inherently bad or evil. And I was like, it's not like I'm a vegan. You know, I, I go to a restaurant and I get a steak, no problem. I can eat fish, no problem. Like I, I'm eating this stuff. So – why is it like someone's killing this animal? This animal was living. This wasn't like something that, that just was just came out of nowhere. Like an animal had to be killed for this. And, um, I basically started to think like, why is hunting bad? And, and I started thinking, I love history. I huge history buff. And I was thinking, you know, in terms of historical timeline of the earth, it's a very short period of time, very, very brief that people don't have to hunt for their own food. It's like teeny tiny minuscule blip on the radar of, of the overall timeline of the earth that people don't have to hunt. So I started to question my own thoughts and beliefs around it. And I was like, you know what? I have to hunt. Maybe not necessarily all the time and I don't have to do it for all my food, but for me not to be a hypocrite, I have to do it at least once. Because if I'm against hunting, but I eat meat and fish, I am by definition a hypocrite. Like that just makes no sense at all whatsoever. So I have a, a, a couple of really close friends who do hunt and I, I spoke to them about it and I spoke to them about it. And I finally, I, I one of them, he's a Marine. His name is Charles. He, he took me out. He's been hunting his whole life. And we went through my whole first hunt together. It was amazing in many ways. It was super emotional in many ways. Um, I think it's made me appreciate food a lot more, appreciate wildlife a lot more. Um, and, and I realized if I, if I want to be a more understanding individual with a wider scope of knowledge, I have to put myself through this. 
I think that's a a rare case of someone coming to that type of conclusion. You are one of probably few. And the reason I think this is really critically important for both folks that aren't hunters and folks that are hunters, this has been a theme so far in the month of January. We, we got the chance to sit down with Michael Waddell, and, and he talked about the story of him going into a snowboard shop as a hunter and them being condescending towards him. And, you know, he's like, why do you got to be mean to me? He's like, I think he had said, like, hey, I'm looking for a snowboard. They're like, yeah, what, what kind? He's like, well, I don't know. I usually go down in an inner tube. Like, I don't know. I just want to try this stuff out. And he said it hit him like, oh, gosh, there's probably an archery pro shop somewhere where someone's being – you know, condescending to a snowboarder. And so it's interesting on the hunter side of, you know, just because someone doesn't look and walk and talk like us doesn't mean that we need to like, you know, be mean or condescending to them. Um, And conversely, the people that don't hunt, there's just a big gap of understanding of what goes into this stuff, why it's so important to us, our heritage and our way of life. And I guess I'm curious about what some of your learnings were. Like, how did you get into this? I know you had a Marine friend that, that hunts if it, and it sounds like he probably showed you some things. So like, there's a lot of decisions that go into like, where am I going to hunt? What is the land? What species am I going to get into? What camo do I need? What weapon am I going to use? You know, kind of walk me through what that was like for you. Yeah, those are all really good questions. And to be honest, I'm very lucky because I have a pretty big audience and I I had expressed interest in wanting to hunt just so I could get that experience. And I immediately had many people reach out to me offering to take me on my first hunt, which I know most people don't have that opportunity. Um, And so basically, my friend Charles, he was Charles Admire. He's he's an amazing hunter, amazing guy overall. Basically, he was like, I want to take you on your first hunt. I'm going to take care of everything. So like any questions you have, I'll answer them for you. But he basically told me like, all right, you're going to go like just go to like the the athletic store near me and just get camo, make sure I have boots. But he's like he had a whole bunch for me in case I didn't get the right stuff. Uh, he was like, we're going to be out early and it's going to be a little bit cold. So make sure you bring plenty of warm stuff with you. He said, I'll, I'll have your your. Uh, your weapon ready. So I shoot a lot, you know, I I was brought up in a very anti-gun household, but I actually have gotten very into, uh, not just the second amendment, but learning about firearms and, and safety and gun control. And I've gotten super involved in that. So I've been shooting, I've been shooting a lot and using a lot of firearms and educating myself on it, taking courses. And so I'm not an amazing shooter, but I think I'm pretty good at it. And so he had a Remington 700 for me Perfect. when I got That's there a and uh, a great gun. It was, it was, it was fantastic. And so, uh, and, and he has a lot of land. He's got like hundreds of acres of land, which again, I was very fortunate to be able to do that with him rather than, you know, go to another type of land or have to go through a, through a, a raffle system where I forget what it's called, but go through the, the, um, you know, the, the term I'm looking for draw system, the draw system. Yeah. So he has a bunch of private land that, that we could go on and he has blinds set up all throughout the land. And he, you know, he's, he's just, he's got everything ready for me. So we got there and, and as soon as we got there, we went out and, and he just walked me through everything. And, um, I was very lucky to go through that because ever since I did that and I've shared my story a little bit, I've gotten many other people who want to hunt, who've been like, I don't know where to start. And the more I've looked into it, I know there are hunting mentorships that you can pay for and go on and learn from, which I definitely think I'm going to do as well. Um, but to be able to have a friend who's just willing to do all that for free and take me through that whole experience was, I was very lucky. But 
the the one thing that I love that Charles did is even though he he took away a lot of the guesswork, he didn't take away the actual doing it. So for example, there was one time I had a shot. There was a doe with with two of her of her kids with her, and Charles was like, "You can take the shot. It's a legal shot." And and I told him I was like, "I can't take that shot, man. Like, uh, just I couldn't." It, for whatever reason, like who knows, maybe later on in my hunting life, like I, I'll be able to take that shot and be emotionally okay with it. But I couldn't emotionally take a mother away from her kids just on my first, I just couldn't do it. And so he was like, listen, man, you're the one who has to sleep at night. Like that's the, I, you take, if you don't take the shot, that's fine. So I didn't take the shot. We let them go. And then later on, uh, uh, I saw a buck and I took the shot and, um, and then, you know, we got it, we picked it up gutted it did the whole field dressing did everything and i did the whole thing he walked me through it but like i did all of it and um then took it to be processed and, and all of that like it was it was a hell of an experience really an emotional experience an amazing experience and and one i look forward to continuing to do but charles really was uh the guy who took me by the hand and, and led me through step by step and i'm forever grateful for that any thoughts there greg no. I ask because I'm going to put the camera on you so I sure. can control so the you, So you can scratch <laughs> so I know your nose you're talking. While, you're, while nobody's looking. I'm take a sip. Take a sip. <laughs> no, I mean, that's great that you were able to have access to a pile of land to go out and do that. And that's really, like, that's the best place or best, I guess, case scenario to be able to do that is having access to some land where you don't have to worry about other hunters walking in on you. Um, it's pretty a fairly controlled environment and you got nothing but time to just, no, I'm not going to shoot that doe with the fawns. I'm going to, I'm going to let them go wait for the buck that you want to shoot. It's acceptable to me. Go ahead and shoot it. All right. That's great. That, that made it much more comfortable for you. And then you got your hands dirty. You, you know what it is to now maybe do a little bit of tracking, uh, blood tracking and field dress the animal and maybe you even quartered it up and maybe you caped it out. You learned how to break the, the carcass down into usable pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, exactly. those are the types of things that when you talk about your relationship with food, I know you talk about it differently. Like, you know, I'm not trying to just lose weight. I'm talking about it maybe differently than you are your relationship with literally the, the food that you're trying to harvest. Um, that is a very different type of relationship and once you're exposed to it, your respect for it goes up, you know, demonstrably. You, you, you know, like, if someone's going to, oh, can you just share some venison with me? I'm like, well, yeah, I could, you know, but gosh, I, I hope you really appreciate that, like, I had to work really hard for this. Right. You know, I took yeah. a life. I, I dragged it out. I gutted it. I quartered it up. I, I you know, I packaged it. Um, There's sweat equity involved. Yeah, in it. it's a big deal. So when you're eating that, you you have a very different feeling about the food you're consuming when you've are the one that dispatched it, you know? Yeah. 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 You know, it's funny though. Like when I talk about relationship with food on my own social media, it's generally more about, you know, people who struggle with uh, portion control with, with eating the right foods, whatever it is. But I very much believe, and I, I've learned this more now that I, I went hunting one time, I'm not an expert at all, but like, I very much believe the more I've dove into hunting and the more I've dove into having an appreciation for the food you're eating and the fact that you took a life it's you develop a better relationship with food because you appreciate it more. And as opposed to looking at something that I think one of the reasons people have issues with food is because there's just an abundance of it, right? There's just, it's everywhere. There's mm -hmm. so much readily available. They can quickly grab it. No issue whatsoever. 
but when you realize that food is, there's there's not an abundance of it like you have to go out and you have to you have to take that life it's like as long as long as you're not just eating a ton of processed junk and you're actually eating fresh food I don't care if you're if you're harvesting an animal or if you're growing uh, growing it in your backyard in terms of vegetables and fruits and all of that like it's it, there's not a massive in abundance and it takes a lot of time and effort to do it and I think when you think about food from that perspective it's actually easier to develop a healthier relationship with food as well I think that's yeah that that's coming full circle right that's adding an extra ingredient to uh, pun intended I suppose uh, to the to the like what you're talking about um, but I think what a great experience for you to have a buddy to show you that stuff, have the land. I mean, that definitely makes the barrier of entry a bit more approachable. It's, it's hard. If you've never had someone in your life as a hunter, an uncle, a grandpa, a dad, a buddy, a somebody show you that stuff, it's really intimidating to approach. It, how do you, it's hard to even know where do I even start? So the fact that you had this buddy is like pretty incredible. How, how was, how did it go? man? like, what were your favorite moments from that hunt? It was, dude, it was amazing. It, it really, you know, <laughs> it, it was one of the greatest weekends of my life. I think uh, I'll never forget it. I just, the, there was another buddy with, so there were three of us there and just the bonding experience that we had all together, being able to hang out three days in a row. And just like the, the experiences that we had, because it took all weekend, which is funny. Charles said at the beginning, he was like, there's a strong chance we'll sit out here all weekend and you will not get anything. And which I thought was crazy, right? I was like, I sort of expect, I'll tell you what I thought going into it. I thought hunting meant you go in the woods and you walk around the woods. And I was excited to get some exercise in and movement and da, da, da. And he was like, that's one type of hunting. Like there are types of hunts where you track the animal and and you hunt and and it's actually a lot of work. But the hunt we're going to do is we're going to sit down in this blind and stay fucking quiet for hours at a time until hopefully uh, a deer comes across and then you can take it. And, and I was like, Oh, that is completely different than what I expected. And so we're sitting there in this blind, quiet, not talking, but to be in like, I don't, I don't think I've ever sat in nature quiet for hours at a time, not looking at my phone and just like enjoying nature, listening to the sounds. Just, it was very peaceful and it was really, really wonderful. And I was like, I was so glad to not have my, have my phone on me just to be out with friends, relaxing, enjoying the weather, being up early uh, and being out and enjoying the fresh air. Um, it was funny because the first day uh, a deer came out and Charles has a feeder and it was about 170 yards away from the blind. So I have the Remington 700. It was about, it was about, we had, he has a, something to, uh, some, a, a tool to tell how far away it is. So it was about 170 yards away was the shot. Range and he, around the feeder, he has, uh, not, it, it's like a, a little gated area, just like, so that hogs can't get in. And, um, and I took the shot and the bullet hit one of the, the links on the fence and so it deflected and the, it didn't hit the deer. Thank God. Like it, it, it was going to, but the, it, Charles was like, I've never seen a shot like this. It, and it was deflected and it went straight down into the dirt instead of hitting the deer. So that was the first day Charles, like couldn't believe it. So then the next day we go out and I see the doe with the, with the babies. And so uh, with the fawn. And so I didn't take that shot. And then on the next day, on the last day, I see a buck and it was about 40 yards away. And I took that shot and it was, it was one of the craziest experiences of my life because I took the shot and again, I feel very confident with, with a, a rifle, with a firearm, but 
it's one thing to shoot at a piece of paper. It's another thing to shoot at something alive. And so my heart was going crazy. And uh, I didn't like, as soon as I shot it, you know, you watch the movies, you see, like, obviously I know the movies aren't, aren't real from a fighting perspective. You see someone get punched and all of a sudden they're knocked out immediately. It's like, that's not how it works. You see someone choking someone out. I do jujitsu. Like I know it takes a while to choke someone out. They don't <laughs> just immediately just go unconscious in a second, like in the movies. So I understood it wasn't going to be like the movies, but I sort of expected it sort of just fall and drop dead. And like it fucking ran and it ran for a little while after I shot it. And I was like, I must have missed it. I must have missed it. And it started to like, it was sort of a uh, limping on one leg as it ran away. And I was like, I felt so awful. Cause I was like, how the hell did I hit the leg? And I tracked it and I tracked it. And finally I found it, it fell down and it was still breathing. And I realized the bullet actually went through the heart. And I found this after we, we field dressed it, but the bullet went through the heart and out the other side. And then it broke the leg. So it, it went through the other leg on the opposite side of the body. And so then when I got to it, I, I was super emotional. I, I sat down next to it and I was patting it until it finally passed. It was cold out. So I literally watched it take, it take its last breath. And all of a sudden there was no more, nothing coming out of its nose anymore. Um, and, and that was it. And then we, we picked it up and, and brought it back and field dressed it. And I think I, I, there hasn't been a day that's gone by that I haven't thought about that. It's been about eight weeks or so since that happened. And every single day I think about it, think, I like think about watching it take its last breath. And, um, so that's been very changing for me in terms of how I view food, how I, how I'm grateful for food whenever I have meat. Um, but also, you know, I think one of the best parts about it, like I said, was just being out in nature and enjoying the camaraderie with my friends that I think nowadays when we're on our phones so much, it's easy to take for granted. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You talk, you know, about not posting but before we start recording because like you're you're not sure how your audience is going to take that information in like a grip and grin and, and how to remove ego from it so i'm not sure if you follow ryan holiday he talks he's written the book yeah he goes, yeah, yeah i love ryan holiday yeah so that's awesome because i'm a, i think i read that book four times last year among all of his other ones too but you know he has a book called stillness is the key and it's really interesting that one of your favorite memories is watching the world come to life around you in nature as hunters, I think that's something that nature enthusiasts, people like on hikes and things like that and bird watching, they, they just think we're out there to deal death. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's, I liken it to baseball. Like 99% of it's boring as shit. You know, 99% of it is you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs watching the, the bird come and land on a branch by you or, or the little field mouse under your tree stand or whatever it is you're watching, the clouds move through the sky and the, the wind blowing through the trees and that kind of stuff. Um, but that's the, the book Ryan Holiday wrote, Stillness is the Key. That is like living in the moment. There's not, for me, short of spending time with my kids, there's no other way to be more present in a moment than hunting. And that, mm. I don't know if it's different because if I'm just in nature on a hike and I stop to sit and observe, I think that's fine too. But when you have a weapon in your hand, there's an alertness about you that exists differently than if you're just out there to consume it. I don't know if that, mm. Greg, what do you think? Well, I think you're right there. I mean... I'm out there to consume it in multiple ways. You know, 
consuming the the experience of all the things happening around you in somewhat peaceful and quietness, and then hopefully consuming some venison afterwards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Greg's a good cook too. He knows what he's doing with with some of that meat, and he's he's the small game hunting, squirrel, rabbit, turkey, pheasant, deer, fishing, uh, both on the big lakes and the little lakes. So, you know, Greg knows his way around the kitchen pretty well too with some of the stuff. And how you prep, prepare some of these foods can make a big impact to a hunter and a non-hunter. Like it does. Our wives are pretty big critics of our food. If you don't take the gaminess out of it, they're well, not big fans. And, two, I mean, I think it helps growing up, like, nothing went to waste. And I ate a lot of bad venison. A lot of bad venison, a lot of bad... I don't think the rabbits or squirrels were too bad because you drown anything in enough barbecue sauce, it tastes the same. <laughs> but my dad, you know, didn't spend the time in learning how to prepare venison. You know, it just wasn't his nature. You know, I'd take it out of the freezer and do something different with it every time, put it on the grill. What are you doing that for? Well, it's something different. You know, I'm tired of having it in stew because you don't really taste it for what it is in stew. So... You know, grilling it, learning how to use olive oil on it and, and spicing it a certain way and learning not to overcook it, that's that's a huge thing. But that's, I, I gained a huge respect for the animal once I, I don't know, once I learned how to prepare it pre- correctly and, and how to care for it in the field correctly. Yep. I just... I mean, I've, I've talked about this openly on the show, but I just got into using a cast iron skillet within the last year and a half or You're so. You're welcome. It, thank you. And that's changed things for me. <laughs> like, once I learned that you could sear a venison steak like you do at a steakhouse, it's changed it dramatically. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't cook a, cook a good steak. Otherwise, before that, I don't even know what the hell I was doing. I was chopping into cubes and putting it in butter and a frying pan, or I'd put it on the grill, which is fine. But that sear on the cast iron changed everything for me it's just incredible i feel like i'm a gourmet chef now nice and medium rare in the middle yeah it's quite good yeah so you know those things are important but you talked about like the physicality of it like okay well i'm gonna sit here in this damn blind all day quiet and still you know hunting deer is is a is a stealthy process scent control is important scent awareness and wind direction is things you have to be aware of where the deer are coming from and not making any noise there's a lot that goes into deer hunting that's different than some other game uh, but once you get it, that's when the work starts. You know, then you realize you gotta drag this thing out. Not maybe your buddies on land, so maybe you guys put in a, in a, a you know a four wheeler or something like that. Um, but us public land guys, we gotta drag deer, and it, it's a pain in the ass, man. It's a lot of fun work. <laughs> so you gotta be physically to some degree fit, otherwise you're gonna be hoofing it for a long time. Yeah, it was so funny. I didn't realize anything about anything about anything, but the scent control, I lost it. I, I thought it was hilarious when uh, he was like, before we got, he's like, all right, you got to shower, but you got to use my, my soap. I was like, what do you mean? I got to use your soap. He was like, I have soap that is specifically designed to take your scent away. And I was looking at this bottle and it's like, literally it's a hunter's bottle all about like how to take <laughs> your scent off. And I, and like, I love marketing. I love I love this stuff. So I was like, I had no fucking clue. This is a whole business. Like they've got soaps to take your human scent away. Like it's crazy. The the level of granularity of deer hunting, it, it's endless. It's a black hole. Dude, we have bags that have, like, soap ozone is, in the them. The soap is just the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ozone bags, clothing with uh, charcoal in it, um, all sorts of crazy stuff, active carbon. The list goes on. You can spend 
thousands of dollars in stuff and still not kill a deer yet. The best thing you can do is just breathe the wind. You know, once you actually get into the, the level of like what it takes to kill a mature animal uh, in contrast to just any deer, dude, that's a whole freaking thing, man. Like this, you talk about like the, the niches and, and like communities and all that stuff. The deer eating community is a, there's a lot of knowledge to be shared among us hunters. So it's always fun when someone new gets into it like yourself because we just love to teach. We want to just teach you everything we know, man. Like you just had this one experience and, and, and you're, oh, like the scentless soap and stuff like that. There's, we would love to talk to you more about all of this stuff. If you, if you want to go uh, in Alice Wonderland and go down the rabbit hole with us, man, we're, we're your best friends. You, you can talk to us anytime. This is what I love about the hunting community though. It's like, and this is one of the things that I've started to really fall in love with hunting about is when you really break it down, like when you really think about it, what we're so excited to talk about is how, how we're going to be able to feed ourselves and our families. That's really essentially what this boils down to. And no one is like, oh yeah, let's go to the grocery store and like talk about how we're going to like change everything and manage our day or our weekend around going to the grocery store and picking up this food. It's because when it's so easy for you, it, it takes away all connection to everything. It takes away all the connection to the earth, to the animal, to everything. And this is one of the things I've been trying to figure out how to explain to the people who were mad that I went on a hunt. I was like, they're like, how can you say you respect the animal? I'm like, well, number one, if you're eating meat or fish, but you're not killing it, you you're by definition a hypocrite. Like if you're mad that someone else, yeah, that is animal hunting. literally lived to die. Yeah, you're a walking yeah. hypocrite. And, so. and and not to mention, it's like that animal was probably put in a terrible living situation, very uncomfortable. You don't know how it was killed or who killed it or any of that. Whereas. I was able to to go out there and I was able to find the animal. I was able to give it a, a, a quick death in a and it's a very comfortable environment where it was meant to be. And and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how I'm going to be able to harvest this animal. I think that's the that's the definition of respect. Whereas you're eating something that was alive without even knowing what it looked like or seeing where it lived, like you don't respect yeah, the you animal want to at owe all. Something some respect, like go look it in the eyes, like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that. That like when you talk about respect, even people are like, "Oh, well, that guy broke up with me over text." Well, that's disrespectful, <laughs> right? Like that's removing yourself from any sort of accountability to a situation. That's a really. I know Gary Vaynerchuk uses a lot of dating references and marketing, and I think that's probably not too different than like, you want to respect the animal, go freaking kill it your damn self, right? Or be part of the process. Yeah. And to bridge the gap for the folks that are maybe in your audience, you're like. You talk about, it's not exciting to talk about the grocery store, but who gets excited to go to a nice steakhouse or to go to the, um, you know, the meat house where you get to pick like, wow, I want that. I want to go to the butcher shop and pick that, that cut right there, because that is a mm. high quality steak. And I'm going to sizzle that thing up and it's going to be a great night. I'm bringing the boys over to me poker. We're having good steak tonight, boys. Well, that's an exciting thing, right? You want to make it even more exciting? Let's go get the steak out of my freezer that I kill with the back straps that I still have. You know, yep. you know how good that's going to taste? That's different. And I tell you what, I'm going to share that with uh, a very select group of people because if I'm going to share that, like either – it's probably great because he helped me drag it out, you know, or my buddy that helped me do the work. That's who I'm going to share that with. You know, we're going to save those best cuts for the guys and gals that were there with the experience. And, and nobody loves venison more than my kids, which is the best part. I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a new-year-old. And my daughter, who's four – gets more excited about venison than any human I know. She, like, <laughs> you know, I, I, the audience knows the story, but when I got uh, the buck that's on the wall over here, um, you know, it was the first buck I got with a bow on public land. It was a big deal for me. 
And I called my wife on FaceTime and I said, I got one. She's like, are you kidding me? Now she was excited for other reasons because you know, that meant my hunting season was like done and she could see me again. And, <laughs> and then I said, is Logan there, my daughter? And I said, put her on. And she goes, daddy, did you get a deer? I said, I did. And she goes, is it a buck? I said, it is. She goes, can we eat it? You know? And that was it. <laughs> like, that was what she was. That's how, that's her association with deer hunting is I get to bring home food for her. So that's awesome. That's exciting. You know, we did. We cooked, Greg and I, we cooked it up. Uh, he helped me, he helped me uh, chop out the loins and um, threw it on the grill, and we ate it that night. It was like the freshest food I ever had in my damn life, you know? So that's, uh, I think it's cool to hear your experience with this. Um, did you have some backlash from folks in your audience? Did you have people that were accepting? Did you have people that were, like, neutral? How did you handle and mitigate some of that stuff? Because it's yeah, sensitive. So- so in, in a big audience, you're going you're gonna to get a, a lot of opinions. I, I could go on my, my Instagram story and say, hey, hope everyone has an amazing day, and I'd get people who are mad at me about something. So, <laughs> so there's always going to be people who are mad. There were, I would say, the overwhelming majority were either in huge support of it or they were people who said, wow, I've never thought of it in that way. Thank you for sharing this. But, you know, there was a small – I lost about – I lost about a thousand followers from it, um, which is, you know, it's, it's a pretty significant number of people. And I got a, a fair few messages from people being like, this is disgraceful. I've lost all respect for you. There's no need to do this. Um, and, and at this point in my career, I've been doing this for years. So like, uh, I, I know my mental sanity is worth more than getting in an argument with these people. So I, if I did choose to, I'd usually just ask them like, Hey, just out of curiosity, do you eat meat or fish? And the majority of them said, yeah, I do. And I was like, so you do realize that someone is killing your food. You're just not doing it yourself. And they would either block me after I said that or <laughs> say, well, <laughs> that's different. And, and that was basically the end of it. Um, but I will say, and I wanted to, to mention this because, you know, in the fitness industry, which is what I'm in, there's a, oftentimes a lot of uh, animosity between the vegans and everybody else. And oftentimes vegans can be very like in your face and angry at someone for eating meat. So I expected them to be the most angry. I expected the vegans to be super upset about it. Um, But to their credit, I got so many positive messages from vegans saying, I wish everyone who ate meat did this because it really makes you much more consciously aware of the food that you're eating, of the animals that you're killing, uh, of, of what it takes to, to kill an animal, to harvest an animal, to put it on your plate. And it, it's actually, you know, like we were talking about earlier, it's the best for, for land conservation and for the environment. And so I got so many positive messages from vegans, which was, I was so taken aback by they support it so much because they also realize how much hunters do for the land and for the environment and for animals as well. So, I mean, I, I think they realize that if, if every meat eater was a hunter, there would be far, far less wasted meat, far less, far fewer animals who were killed for no reason. They would be given a, a much better life as well. So I, I was really happily surprised to, to experience that. Yeah, I think vegans are really concerned with the well-being and treatment of animals. I have a cousin that's a vegan um, that the only meat she will eat is venison because she knows the hunter that like killed it in this case, me or her dad or like some relatives because we're, you know, Wisconsin, the the hunting heritage is strong here. So she grew up that way. And so she's actually, anytime she comes home, she lives in Key West, Florida. She's like, 
excited to have venison because it's the one meat she'll eat. And she's like, she'll ask, did, did it die ethically, Eric? Did you get a good shot on this one? Um, and I, I have, there's one that I didn't, and it, we call it the zombie deer because the damn thing wouldn't die. Um, you know, so I, I'm being truthful with her, like most of them, yes, it expired quick. It was an ethical shot, you know, is all good, except for that one. Um, but she'll ask, and that, that's, the, that's the cutoff for her. Like, if it, if it died, if it lived a natural life in its natural habitat and died an ethical death, she's good with it. Mm. A lot of where she'll draw that line of, is this animal wasn't treated fairly or ethically or what have you. So I think on the vegan side, that doesn't surprise me to hear what you're saying. I'm not shocked too much by that. Um, we've interviewed vegans before too about their way of life and some of them have converted to, to the carnivore diet and things like that. I've actually become hunters. <laughs> so, you know, going back to the, is a, is this person look like me? Do they talk like me? Do they walk like me? No, not everyone does. That's why it's important as hunters to not, I always say it's not be to not be the neck biting the head off. You know, we, we need to be kind to folks and not condescending and things like that because we hunting's going to be around. We need more hunters. And mm. a lot of folks might be interested on it in the peripheral, but maybe they don't understand. So the fact that you took that plunge, to me, it's really exciting. Like, I'm, I'm enthused to be talking to you. You're a great uh, example, an exemplar of someone that wasn't a hunter that became a hunter. Like, this is what we talk about in hunting. Like, we need more people to be hunters. Well, here's one right here. <laughs> We're talking to you, man. This is freaking great. Thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. This is awesome. So it's exciting. I'm looking at Greg a lot because I keep I'm, I'm manning the camera. So I'm like, when is Greg going to talk so I can put the camera on Greg? I'm just letting you do your thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're good at it. I'm good at just nodding my head. But, you know, Greg, Greg is someone that he's a woodsman, you know, so it depends on how far. I you're wouldn't gonna, go that far. But. Well, you know, you're more of a woodsman than I am. Um the reason why I'm running all this technology stuff. And if I go to the woods with you, I'm, I'm at your beck and call. Remember, you're the one that said, you should, no, no, Tyler said you should use a phone. I said, no, you should use a compass. Then he laughed at me. I have a lens set of compass. It's See. in my son's room for decor now, but I, I learned land nav legitimately. See. And I, I can use a lens set. There it saved my life in the boundary waters. Compass over a phone. Compasses don't have batteries that die. That's right. No, I mean, it's worthwhile learning some, some woodsman's, woodsmanship. Um, even just learning how to read tracks. I mean, like you were pretty fortunate to have someone pretty much take you under their wing and set you in a blind. But if you were to get a hold of a piece of property, go door to door and get permission from a rancher and they said, yeah, you can go ahead and hunt. Well, at that point you're on your own. You're going to be, yeah. you know, trying to read sign. What, what is a deer rub? What is a scrape? What does a bed look like? You know, is there a difference between buck tra- tracks and doe tracks? What direction are they heading? What are direction they coming are they from bedding or the food? food? Yeah, yep. where's the food? Where's the bedding? Where's the water source? That's all things you got to try and take in, into consideration when you're trying to learn all this. So if you ever get to the point where you're out on your own, you're going to learn a lot just by scouting. And that's what we do up here a ton of is just scout. You know, this is off season for us. I'm going to be out in the in the swamps and the marshes while everything's frozen over, and I'm going to be able to walk through there and, figure out where deer were laying sign down in the fall and maybe even find where they're bedded right now. It's, you know, things change with the food sources and the change in the weather. Mm. Again, the rabbit hole goes very, very, yep. very deep. Yeah, we can keep talking. It, so it, There's a lot to learn and there's a lot to discuss. And there's a lot of podcasts like ours out there 
probably not like ours. Ours is the okayest one. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of there's other probably ones that are, ones that are better. <laughs> They're far more informative. Yeah, you know they. Actually, but you know we try to teach people some some things here and there, and you know we think that we're talking to the broader scope of the hunting audience. There's a lot of expert hunting podcasts where they get super granular into really acute tactics. Um, you know, we'll do that from time to time, but. It, it's we'll have a guest of, on that's really yeah. really crazy about talking about it, and yeah. we love to talk about it. But you know, a lot of the stuff is is being said over and over and over again. There's nothing new to learn. You know, everybody's kind of talking the same lingo. There's nothing new that's changed the face of deer hunting as far as tactics are concerned. One of it our isn't one of our listeners said uh, maybe it was you actually. Uh, but like nature hasn't changed right like no there's a lot that nature can teach us so the best of teacher is experience but um i don't know and and you you start off with an okayest moment like the ricochet bullet on the on the fence you know stuff like that you know we celebrate the failure we celebrate the the goof ups and the mishaps because what happens in the hunting industry that you may not know yet is a lot of folks are ego driven right it's a lot of male egos and it's a lot of look at me, look at me. And what happens with that is then there's a lot of focus on the success, which is fine. There should be some focus on that. But what happens to new hunters is they think that they should be seeing these giant deer and that that's what they would get on their first hunt, having never experienced it. So for us, we celebrate a lot of the goof ups. Oh, I forgot my release or I dropped this thing or, you know, I missed completely. And, you know, those are the best teachers is that failure. And I imagine with I've used the I've used a gym analogy. Like you can't go to the gym at 300 pounds and expect you're going to be 180 the next day. It doesn't happen mm-hmm. like that. You get there by going through the journey and experiencing and learning things. So you can't become a hunter tomorrow and expect you're going to get a 180 inch whitetail buck on your first hunt. That just, it could happen, but that's not reality. And that's what people mm-hmm. think is happening in the world because of social media, you know, and because of TV and what these other people pontificate. And they're actually not allowed to show like misses because again, there's so many viewers on like the outdoor channel or the sportsman's channel, these other TV outlets where if they show that, then they have this non-hunting audience that thinks, Oh, these guys are just out there wounding animals. You can't have that. So yeah. it is a catch 22. So our, our job here at OK Hunter to some degree is to show the goof ups and focus on the memories and the fun times and the camaraderie. And, and we celebrate the successes too, but that might look different for people. But some of the goof-ups are more costly. And I'm going to be honest with you, if you hunt long enough, you're going to run into a time where you probably wound a deer, and you're going to feel terrible about it. I can I know of two deer I, th- I think of all the time Same. that I wounded, or I thought I made a good shot, and I never found them. And it sticks with you. It made me change a few things the way I do things. Practice more? I practiced more. I switched my arrow setup to a heavier arrow setup. I I just did things differently. And ever since then, it's been nothing but success. Nothing but pass-throughs, huh, Greg? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Luckily. No, it's, uh, it's, we're happy to welcome you to the community, I guess, you know. If, yeah. if you haven't been welcomed to the community by anybody officially in the hunting space, like... We're happy to be the ones to do that in a public forum, you know, on a live broadcast with people watching and commenting. So, you know, it's thank you. Too, I right? appreciate that a lot. It, it's it's a super welcoming community that I, I'm really I'm really happy to to continue to learn from and, and be a part of. Yeah. Great. Any um, gosh, I don't know. Like I know you shared 
the, the best part was the nature side of things, but have you made any meals yet with the, cause you were in Texas, your buddy was in Texas. So, um, did you get to do your process? Did he do it for you? How did that all go down? Are you eating any venison? So, so we took it to a processor. It was right near the end of the season. And so they actually, they still haven't gotten back to me yet. I think it's just because they have so many deer to work with. So uh, I do, I got a big freezer to, to put all the medicine in. Uh, so I'm excited to get it back. And, and you just reminded me, I need to get a cast iron skillet so I can, I can cook it really, really well. Um, but I haven't cooked it yet just because I haven't, I haven't gotten the deer back, but I'm super excited to, I got a bunch of summer sausage and, uh, I'm excited to try the back straps. Everyone tells me that's the best part. So, uh, as soon as that's ready, I, that's the reason why I haven't posted about it since I did it. Cause I, I, I can't wait to get my first, I can't wait to have my first like backstrap steak and, and share it and, and, and talk about it on social media because like I said, I didn't do the grip and grin because I, I wasn't sure about how I felt about that. I didn't want to be, um, I wasn't sure if I would be doing that for my ego because I didn't think that would necessarily be showing respect to the animal. And I'm sort of battling with that in my own head. But for me to be able to show the actual meat that I harvested and then, and cooked, I think that is going to be very impactful for people who might be on the edge with hunting and, uh, and maybe they're not sure if they should try it. Like for me to be able to say, Hey, I found this deer. I harvested this deer. I, I uh, field dressed this deer. I got this deer processed and now I'm eating it. This meal means more to me than literally any other meal I've ever had in my entire life, which I can't wait. I, I've never thought about a meal months in advance ever. I've never been like, oh man, I can't wait for this meal two months ahead of time. But ever since I, I harvested that deer and took it to get it processed, I've been thinking about the first time I'm able to cook that deer, I'm able to eat it and, and, and share it with people. Like I'm so excited for that opportunity. And so that I'm, I'm very, very looking forward to that. I can't wait until I get it back. Yeah. I would start watching YouTube videos now on how to, how to cook up a, a steak on a cast iron. When we get off of this, I'll, I'll share some tips if you, if you want to hear them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Listen to Greg. Don't listen to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you want to do it right, for the love of God, don't listen to me. I'm still learning, uh, and it, it, is a, it is a learning process. I will tell you that you're, you're not going to get it right right away, and um, it's important that you don't overcook it, from what I've learned, yeah. because it'll t- it, it makes it taste like crap when you overcook venison, uh, at mm. least on the steak side of things. Unless you, you like liver. Yeah, it gets really gamey, and there's ways you can marinate it to take the gaminess out of it. You marinate it in milk and things like that, or wine, or whatever you're going to do. But if you just learn to use a cast iron skillet and you get it to where it's going to be that medium rare, um, you are going to be very happy with that outcome. Get some mushrooms and some onions and, and some, you know, whatever butter, whatever you're going to use. It's like a meat and potatoes kind of thing, but um, it's uh, it can turn out great. It can turn out like shit if you do it wrong. So, and you don't want to do it wrong because you respect the damn animal so damn Correct. much. So, and if, I'm gonna eat. All, I'm not throwing any of it out. Yeah, right. you might be in for more heartbreak if you if you f up the meal. So, <laughs> it's like <laughs> one of those things. You're like, oh my god. You know, you just you continue to learn. It's a journey, and the fact that, like you had said, the history of mankind, we've been hunting and gathering and cooking food far longer than we've been going to the grocery store. So. The fact that our ancestors were probably much better at this than we were to some degree or more used to it, I find fascinating. The media well, is yeah, a great I mean, resource for that kind of stuff, too. He's got a great cookbook that I think yep. a lot of us own. I have one. I got it for Christmas. I'm pretty jacked about it. Anyway, I, th- I might have just interrupted you. I know there's a lag on the video side, so um, 
Oh no no yeah I was just thinking like even about you know I was thinking about the the soaps that take scent away and all of the the things that we have available to us now to think back to hunters years ago who they didn't have any of that stuff and they didn't have weapons like we have them today it's like they must have had to get significantly closer to the animal which I I I haven't tried bow hunting yet but I know that's one of the reasons why people have started to really enjoy bow hunting because it, it does force you to get to have much more skill to get closer to the animal and uh, it, it's been, it, it, I couldn't imagine what it must've been like so long ago when you really, you really had to learn how to track an animal, know where they're going to be and, and know how to disguise yourself and disguise your scent and know where the wind is blowing in order to be able to bring home a meal for your, for, for your family to eat. Yeah. There's a, we had a guest on a, a long time ago, well, maybe two, two years ago or something or three years ago, the primitive hunter, the dude literally makes his own moccasins, bow strings, bows, arrowheads, arrow shafts, fletchings, like literally everything. And then he goes and kills deer with all that stuff. Like, like he's a damn caveman. Um, That's awesome. Never am I going to do that. Uh, but <laughs> kill with a compound bow or a rifle. So yeah, we've got enough problems with this. I'm not going to try to go back in time. But thanks for being on the show, dude. Um, where can people find you? Because I, I think from a fitness perspective, the 25 bucks a month or whatever you're talking about for that inner circle, I'm interested. I, I need to whip myself into shape and I've been finding looking for a good excuse. The more I watch your stuff and, and, prep for this to be honest I, i'm like oh god this might be uh, a nice <laughs> yes yeah, i mean if you if you google my name jordan syatt you'll find me everywhere i've got my own podcast the jordan syatt mini podcast syatt fitness on instagram s-y-a-t-t fitness but if you google my name i'm on basically every platform sweet yeah you're pretty well known with uh, getting to follow gary around the world for three years that's a pretty cool gig well thank thank you guys for having me i appreciate it Rock on. We're going to end the live broadcast, folks. Thanks for tuning in. This will be in podcast land tonight, per usual, how we produce. So thanks for tuning in. And uh, Jordan will keep me on for just a second to debrief. But otherwise, everybody, thanks for tuning in. See you.